This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Ferminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today... We welcome Rona Reese to the YVR Screen Scene Studio. <clears throat> Hello. When I say shuttle, you say cock. Shuttle. Cock. Shuttle. Cock. Couple things. <laughs> One, I have not completely lost my mind. Two, we will be saying cock a lot during this interview because Rona Reese is the face and star and bosom on the on the poster <laughs> yes. of Shuttlecock, a fantastic short film that was written and directed by Melanie M. Jones and created as part of the 2018 Crazy Eights. Rona stars as Winnie, a washed up badminton player whose Olympic dreams are dashed when her rival smashes a shuttlecock into one of her eyes. The film, which is a mockumentary, nay, a cockumentary has been a hit on the film festival circuit. And that call and answer is something that Rona tries to do at every film festival Q&A. But Rona isn't all cocks all the time. She's been in the business for more than two decades, getting her start at the age of 11 in a film with Australian screen legend Ernie Dingo. Is his last name really Dingo? Yeah, he's that, a First Nations guy. That is... That's incredible. Mm -hmm. I love that. So these days, she acts in screen and animation projects like, and they all seem like they're exactly, totally the same, Polly Pocket, Woo Assassins, and Ninjago, Masters of Spinjitzu. And she was nominated for a 2018 Leo Award and a 2019 Society of Voice Arts and Sciences Award for Littlest Pet Shop, A World of Our Own, for her work as Beverly Gill Turtle. She's also been doing some improv. She's also doing lots of stuff. So today we're going to talk about all that stuff. We're going to talk about building voices. We're going to talk about cocks. We're going to talk about finding funny. Funny? We, ugh, geez, can I not even say the word funny? <laughs> Clearly I need to find it. You honestly never, ever know what you're going to get when you are sitting across from Rona Reese. Hi. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Why is it funny to say cocks? <laughs> I mean, because I, I, I love it. Like, I almost like when I was putting that in my script today, I'm like, I, I was like chuckling as if I was like nine years old. And I just I was like a nine year old boy. And I've just discovered that I can drop penis, you know, in yeah. on the in the sand. That's like a very real story. Um, <laughs> but like I. Were you it, once I a nine-year-old boy? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much like my inner human. <laughs> I have that level of comedy for sure. Like I was sitting here chuckling, like I'm going to say cock on my podcast. Yes. But like, you, can you, like, why, like, why do you think it's so funny to say cock? I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It's this childlike, you know, it's a swear word-ish, yeah. but it's not that bad. 
Um, but also, I think, you know, maybe expect women to be making all of the dick jokes. Oh. So I think there's maybe a joy in that as well. Yeah. I don't know. I just think as adults, we really censor ourselves a lot. So if you can just scream the world word cock at yeah. the top of your lungs, it's quite cathartic. I mean, I have done that because I've been in the theater. Yeah. You know, I think it was at the Vancouver Short Film Festival mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, at the Q&A, you had everybody do that. And I think because I had just seen the film as well, kind of reveled in Winnie's kind of fucked up life. <laughs> yes. You know, I felt such a joy in saying that. But, you know, you've, you've traveled all over the world with this film. And, like, I know that... Different, like they're, they're different cultures have different relationships to <laughs> yes. to this word. What's some of the feedback that you get during the um, the shuttlecock call and answer? Uh, we've been pretty well received. I think the the time I was most nervous doing it was in Woodward, Oklahoma. I was there for the Twister Alley Film Festival. Okay, first of all, that is a rad name for a film festival in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, yeah, I would have been uh, scared too. Yeah, it was interesting because it was, you know, a small town. Yeah. Really in the middle of nowhere is in Is that Oklahoma. considered the Bible Belt, I guess? Totally. Yeah. There was actually a um, statue in the center of the town. You can tweet it out for our listeners to see okay. after. Um, with dinosaurs being ridden by a human and the Ten Commandments in the uh, same statue. So they oh, weren't wow. denying that fossils existed and dinosaurs were around, but that uh, God created the earth in seven days and therefore they coexisted. And you pull into town knowing you're going to be doing the shuttle call and answer. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happened? Well, as it turns out, most of the people who were there were either other filmmakers. Right. Who were obviously open-minded <laughs> and excited and liked the film. Yeah. Or were local film enthusiasts who were really, you know, again, excited for something different. The so people think, who will find themselves at a film festival are the artsy weirdos who exactly. will say shuttlecock will, at the top of their will lungs. gleefully yell cock yeah. along with their compatriots. Yeah. So how do you, like, what is funny to you? You know, like, I like, and what is, because you seem like, I, I got to, just as an aside, so clearly Rona's not from, uh, not originally from Canada, and she's like shivering in the studio right now. No, he is on. She walked in in like a big parka and a giant scarf. It's like cold. I'm like, it's eight. It's she's like, it's eight degrees. I'm like, yeah, it's eight degrees. That's eight degrees. <laughs> That's cold. It's cold. Um, but you know, like as far as like what, like what is, uh, what is your? How would you describe your brand of humor? Oh, dirty. Dirty, yeah. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Yeah, I, I yeah mean, a lot of my humor dirty, is dirty, you know? Um, and I think it's also observational. Yeah. I try to make things that aren't necessarily making fun of people, but are making fun of the sort of person I am or, yeah. I don't know, people who deserve it. It's that fine line, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Now, the co- the very cool thing about, like, uh, among the many cool things about Shuttlecock was that it was created as part of Crazy Eights, which to some of our listeners, I will speak to the listeners who are outside of Vancouver, uh, Crazy Eights is this really bonkers uh, film festival. It's a filmmaking festival, really, where mm. people compete for the opportunity to make a film in eight days. You get, I think it's like... 
what three days for three days to shoot three days and then to shoot five days for post which is not like not very much at all and the films that come out are like every year they just seem to get tighter and tighter and just I mean the last few years they've been especially gorgeous and I'm <laughs> completely biased about the year that Rona's film was in because I was on the jury for that year mm-hmm. so I'm like I'm very my, my name is in the credits which is very exciting <laughs> um, but you know like t- tell me about the experience of making this film as part of Crazy Eights under those, you know, completely bonkers conditions. Yeah. You know, and and how making the film under those conditions impacted the funny. Um, Well, for starters, this was my first time on a project all the way from conception all the way through now to film festivals. Yeah. So... I, it was a huge learning curve for me, no matter what the circumstances, yeah. but it was a joy. And basically, Melanie Jones had come to me with the idea at the start of the summer and said, like, let's make this this comedy and I want to develop it with you as the lead character. And I was like, I don't have to audition. That's amazing. And was it always going to be badminton? Yes. She had the title, a loose concept about, you know, sort of an irreverent female badminton player. And then we came up with the rest. Yeah. Is she a badminton enthusiast? She is. It was like the one sport that she truly enjoyed in high school. And she... Um, it wasn't just it. because she thought the word shuttlecock was funny? It was both. Yeah. There's, an in, there's an inherent <laughs> comedy in the word shuttlecock. Yeah. And then uh, basically, yeah, she enjoyed the sport. She liked the, the title and this concept. And when we entered, we entered with the idea that even if we didn't get to, even if we didn't win, it would force us to move the project along. Oh yeah, because Crazy Eights asks you to like create your your logline and mm-hmm. to you know to, like do the story synopsis, and then you get to the script stage. And I think you walked in. You were wearing like a like like a headband and yeah. like wristbands. Yeah, and I walked in in character. Yeah, basically, you did. Yeah, so each step kind of made us clarify our concept a bit more yeah. and our story. Um, and then, you know, when we got to the top 12, that's when you require a script. Yeah. So <laughs> Melanie quickly <laughs> wrote a script and did an amazing job. Um, and then, yeah, we had it when we found out that we won, you get a month of pre-production, um, which was pretty crazy. It turns out it's really hard to find a badminton court that will let you shoot on it. That yeah. <laughs> actually, one of our biggest challenges was finding a court because people love Badminton. Yeah. Like they fucking love Badminton. But like they play from eight AM till one AM. What? Yeah. Like we we needed two courts for the film yeah. and one of them needed to look sort of Olympic level. And we they allowed us in one hour early and then we got to shoot uh MOS for one extra hour and then that was it could only get access to an actual court for like two hours. It was crazy. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, that is really incredible. Like that is, that's a major time constraint considering that Crazy Eights is already a time constraint. But yeah. that, I mean, am I correct in assuming that there's a certain kind of freedom in that as well because you just have to go with it? You, you don't have time to sit and be like, oh, we should do this or we should do that. It's more like, okay, this is our mission and we just got to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like Winnie. Exactly. She doesn't think. She just acts. She just does. Um, Yeah. We had a very ambitious script to shoot in those three days. Yeah. And uh, Matt Pop, our first AD, did an excellent job of scheduling it. We had two units. 
Um, and that was really the only way we could get it all done was yeah. have both unit, both units shooting at once. Um, and yeah, we had little pockets of time. We didn't, you know, usually with a mockumentary and a comedy like that, you might play around a little bit with like, let's improv a scene and let's go off script and have one for fun. But we only had the opportunity to do that like a couple of times because yeah. we had such a tight schedule to work with. Yeah. So. What advice do you have for people who are considering submitting their projects to Crazy Eights? Uh, first of all, do it. Submit. Yeah. Um, because like we went into it, even if you don't make it to that top six, along the way you will meet people, you will recruit people, you will clarify your idea and make it no matter what, hopefully. Yeah. hopefully. And then secondly, I would say really think about what your story is, why it's worth telling and why you are the one to tell it. Yeah. I think those are really – I mean, you're you're on the jury. What Would you agree that those are the three – really key points yeah it's it's huge i mean i i I think as somebody who was on the jury Mm. you really need to have um so much belief and faith in your project that it almost shouldn't matter what we what we the jury think about it that you believe in it so much that you want to make it anyways Mm -hmm. you know because the process of doing it it's it is a full requires mind body and soul pretty much you know so it's a yeah, just just believe and prepare yourself because it really lives up to its name. Yeah, it is a, 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 like from January six when they announce all yeah. the way through to that gala in, at the end of Feb, yeah. is intense. Yeah. So, how do you think the the process of of making that film, immersing yourself in Winnie's world, <laughs> having your bosom on the poster, and I gotta say, like, I'm not just like trying to draw attention to something mm. that you know, like it's it is it is like a punchline almost for the film. It's a yeah. key part of the marketing where it's the poster is the, it's your bosom. Yeah. With, it's, with uh, the cock in between it, right? Or? It's, it, the cock is balancing just on my wrist. Yeah. But it is positioned as we're if it supposed were to, to look. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because originally. Your sexuality ends up being part of it in a big way, in a big part of the marketing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we had, you know, some some opinions that maybe the poster was a bit too sexualized and Kristen Stilling, our producer, just wrote like the coolest email ever explaining exactly why it's not actually a sexual poster because yeah. the smirk on my face and the, the strength that you can see in the pose um, really oh. implies that She's in control. She's empowered. Yeah. yeah. I've never been happier to be objectified in my life. Yeah. Like, they're shooting and not shooting my eyes, and I'm just having a blast. Yeah. Well, I mean, because you're objectifying yourself yeah. in that kind choosing, of situation. Cho- choosing you know? to be. No, it's fantastic. And that's actually, when we were looking at different poster ideas, <laughs> originally it was going to be one of those leg posters, mm-hmm. you know, where you shoot from behind. Yeah. And then we decided that actually that was too passive for Winnie. Yeah. It felt like she wasn't in control. And when we were looking at this particular cleavage setup, it turns out there's a whole genre of posters and they're called the intermammary cleft posters. I'm sorry, what? Intermammary cleft. Oh, mammary. Yeah. Cleft? Yeah. I've never, I didn't know that that was called yeah. a cleft. Yeah, that's the whole Intermammary cleft posters. Yeah. Wow. So we're just adding to the canon. Yeah, there the are. Pro- I, I'm sure that there are 
connoisseurs of intermemory <laughs> cleft posters. Yeah. It was yeah. pretty fun. Uh, I just come out of a relationship um, right before we shot, and it was kind of fun knowing that like my ex was going to be there and see a giant poster of my tits. Yeah. <laughs> So when he walked in, we're cool now. But at the time, I was still. Oh, alive. that's great! <laughs> yes. Oh, I love the I love the power. Yeah. Uh, in that, we're gonna do some time travel. Okay. Uh, you've listened to the. You're one of the few who've listened to the podcast before. Oh. You know, so gold you know. Me. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It's good. It is a gold star. Although it's totally okay if you don't. But you know that we we love to either call up the TARDIS mm-hmm. or a DeLorean mm-hmm. or the H.G. Wells time machine to go back to a formative time during your youth. I will take the TARDIS because my Thank dad's you. a huge Doctor Who fan, and I grew up. He's a Whovian. Yeah. Uh, do you have a doctor? Oh. You know what? I was so young when I was watching with him that I don't actually know. Who was the one that had like fluffy, curly mullet hair? Uh, Tom Baker and he had a scarf? Yeah. Yeah. Probably that one. Yeah. Otherwise. He's great. Yeah. He's my era. Yeah. 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 Oh, fantastic. Um, (laughs) He was my first doctor, but my my more recent doctor. You never forget your first doctor, but um, my my current and forever doctor is uh, Ten, David Tennant. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean... He's got that, he's just got that twinkle in his eye. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. wonderfully cheeky. Yeah. Okay. So it's his TARDIS okay, we're going to get into. Okay. But cheeky 10th t- Doctor. Um, I'm getting so distracted because I'm thinking about like the conversations I want to have with the 10th Doctor with 10. Uh, but no, no. You <laughs> are in control. I got to focus. Got to focus. Okay. So where are we going? Oh, how far back do you want to go? Well, I, I want, I want to, I want to meet like, you at the at the moment when you realized that you were going to be a performer that earliest twinkle in those bright eyes of yours you know I want to know what kind of kid you were I was intolerable just intolerable (laughs) it's like me saying the word funny yeah intolerable though that's actually hard to say intolerable as a child um I can't even believe of just wanting to be the center of attention um Always performing. I used to dress up in my grandma's clothes and dance to her record collection of Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, wow. Um, Wait, which tracks? Like, oh, I'd I'm never a be rock? a sparrow than a snail. Um, Sound of Silence, all, yeah. all the classics. Hello, Darkness, my old friend. Yeah, yeah. very dramatic stuff. Yeah. Um, in prep at school, I played Santa Claus in the Christmas play. Okay, and I was ve- I got really sick the night of um, or the day before the performance, but I demanded that my mother still let me perform. I threw up and still um, performed as, that as night. You're, you're arguing and you projectile vomit into the beard, on. into yeah. that fake beard. <laughs> I'm a performer. How old were you? I would have been four. Yeah. Whoa! But there's like we have this classic family photo, and again, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> So you can have a visual oh accompaniment God. to this yeah. podcast. Oh no, you're actually kind of describing my own kids. I feel like I'm looking at <laughs> looking at her future. Oh God, I hope right they turn out better than me. No, I'm you're sorry. fantastic. I would be so proud. <laughs> Stop it. Um, there's this family photo, and it's bizarrely, Mum chose to take them when Dad was at work, even though Dad was like a big part of our family. So Dad's not there for some reason. We can ask her about that later. Um, there's my older brother and my older sister. And I'm front and center, and I must be two and a half. And I'm wearing like this frilly frock thing. And I am 
I swear, I am like pulling moves. I'm making shapes. I know my <laughs> angles. I've got like a winning Gerber baby smile. Wow. And if it wasn't clear to my mother from that day forward, I mean, yeah, she knew. She she was a part of how I actually got into. Yeah. Do you come from like creative, outgoing, extroverted people? Yeah, not in terms of performance, but definitely creative. Yeah. My mum, dad and brother are all architects. My sister is a photographer and art teacher um, and none of us are shy. I mean, we're Aussie to start with, so <laughs> even shy Aussies are like outgoing compared to most people from around the world. So. Well, I have yet to visit Australia, although I would absolutely love oh, to. Go. Are you like a typical Australian, would you say? Uh, yeah, yeah, almost. I think we're all pretty, There's everyone has a pretty good sense of humour. People aren't too shy. But I mean, it's hard to stereotype. Yeah, yeah so at what point then did you articulate uh, that I'm going to be an actor? Because as I mentioned during the intro, I mean, you got into the professional, yeah. the profession, you became a professional actor when you were at the age of 11 mm -hmm. in the film with Australian screen legend Ernie Dingo. That's the one. Yeah. Um, I I think I'd been begging mum for quite some time um, and I would do like impersonations of The Simpsons and stuff like that. And then she was at a Christmas party with another mum who ran a kids agency. And when she found that out, she was like, oh, I should probably put Rona in this and then she'll go to a couple of auditions and she won't get any jobs and she'll shut up about it and she'll give up. I love that that when you do that impression of your mom, there's like a sense of resignation in it too. It's like, okay, well, yeah. here's the agent or yeah. the senator the thing. We'll do and then, it. You know, and then she'll just give up and do something else. Architect. Yeah. Just be an architect. Follow in the footsteps. Yeah. Um, but that isn't what happened. I booked my third ever audition. I remember I was coming back from school camp, so like sleepaway camp. And mum picked me up and she was like, we have to go, you've got an audition, you've got a callback. And I was like, what? And I went to callback for that movie, Rainbow's End. And I did a bunch of improv and and that kind of started a really busy career as, a, as an 11 year old. Wow, and so what, what for the most part was the kind of work you were doing or were you doing all kinds of work? I was doing mostly kids live action TV. Yeah. So, the, the what was it called the Australian Children's Film Commission or something like that they had this golden era in the late 90s early noughties of um, awesome scripted I'm sorry the early noughties yeah I never heard that before. Did you call them the, the noughties? No, but oh. I love it. I'm going to call it the From noughties. From now on, call them that. Yeah. Um, fucking love Yeah, they it. had this these all these great, cool shows that were really in-depth and intelligent and didn't, you know, patronize the kids or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, I was doing lead roles for, you know, 52 episodes as a kid right wow. through to my late teens that's incredible because yeah. that's also like you're getting like on the job professional training yeah know, as well as a paycheck I'm assuming so did you ever want to do anything else or did were your parents like trying to still be like okay <laughs> here's some bl blueprint paper I don't I don't know what it, rulers and here like, use compass. this set square yeah, yeah. There you go. um 
I, this is going to sound so vain. I was an overachiever I as a child. That, yeah. I really peaked at about 15. <laughs> no, that's not true. But um, I, I have a visual arts degree and I was very, um, very into painting and drawing. And obviously that sort of ran in the family yeah. a little bit more than the performance. Um, I was also really athletic. So some of that competitive streak that you see shining through in Winnie's performance is really just me. Yeah. Well, I mean, the more you speak and just talk about your own experience, I'm really seeing uh, seeing where Winnie really came yeah. from. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm and I I find you more likable than Winnie. I would hope so. Yeah. Winnie's I mean, pretty despicable. <laughs> she's despicable. I mean, granted, I love. I love when we get to see women, especially in comedy, be flawed, be yeah. fuck ups. Like, yeah. And that is one of the joys, which is why I like Winnie, you know, but I, I mean. Well, and that was part of what Melanie set out to do with that character is she really, you know, the push to have strong female characters is great. Yeah. And we need that. But if you take a step back and talk about what sort of characters we need to see it's not just strong female leads it's flawed female leads because we get to see this broad spectrum of men and we laugh and love them all you know like we love dexter he's a serial killer yeah uh we love um you know kenny powers i like to think of winnie kind of like a a kenny powers yeah 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 yeah. and we we love them even though they're complete fuck-ups yeah so i think that's a little part of what we're hoping to contribute to the world with Shuttlecock is yeah. like, yeah, like it's cool to have role models, but it's also cool to see female fuck ups. Yeah. And intermammary cleft posters. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. a new thing that's now been added to my, to we're, my vocabulary. We're expanding your vocabulary. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm totally going to Google and then go into, you know, the, the ouvre. The canon, as it were, as yes. you said, of those kind of posters. The canon of tits. The canon of tits. The tit cannon. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> That's. I mean, yes. I uh, the shuttlecock. I mean, it just fits. So, my God, what what is happening? See, this is what I knew was going to happen with yeah, you. Yeah, we're Miranda. Okay, yeah. sorry. So, uh, I want to know how you got here. Okay, so I had this really kick-ass career as a kid. Um, often spending six months out of school on set. Huh. Um, was very successful. Loved it. Just love, love, loved it. And. It's funny because now when I work on set, I see kids and their parents are there. And back in my day, things were different. So Wait, where did that old lady come from? <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> Whole Foods is that way. Um, you know, my mom never had to be on set with me. And there was none of this, you can only work eight hours. I was pulling like... 14-hour days as a 12-year-old. I mean, it was that or go down the mines. Yeah. 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 Well, we're descended from the convicts, you know, so it was a step up. It's in your blood memory, uh, for Um, sure. Yeah, and then uh, when I got to my early 20s, it's really kind of an awkward age as an actor. Yeah. I think it's... Well, it's it's an awkward age as a human. True. I would say. Like, I have... I find the 20s so much more... I found the 20s so much more difficult than the teens. Yeah. Like of, of all of the decades of my life, that sucked the most because well, there's the expectation teen, you that you... structure. Sh- yeah, and as a 20-something, you're like, exp- you, you've put the pressure on yourself and society does that. Okay, well, you've gone through your education and stuff. Now go figure it out. Go live your life. And I'm yeah. like, well, how the hell do I do that? Yeah. I don't know how to do anything yet. Yeah, I so- don't feel like I'm so... I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. <laughs> there's a song about this. There- you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it's awkward. 
Because and as a performer at that age, you're sort of too old for those kids shows that have been my bread and butter. Yeah, and you're too young, really, to play like the rookie cops and and all that sort of thing. And yeah. So I went to university. Mum and dad were pretty um, encouraging. They never pressured me. Like they you were just, always very yeah. supportive, and they they'd seen. I think I'm lucky because they'd seen already that I could be successful. So I yeah. wasn't like I want to be an actor because I already. You're was an actor. An actor. Yeah. Um, but I went to Melbourne University. I got a, um, a marketing and communications degree. I got a fine arts degree. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Or you're like, I'm already an actor. I just, I'm going to get this other education as well. I, I think that some doubts were creeping in and that I, I, I thought that something in communications and writing that could also be creative was appealing to have as a backup the creeping doubts of i like i was a child actor but i'm not necessarily going to be a grown-up actor yeah, yeah because the other thing that happens at that age as well as being kind of an awkward fit for roles is that the talent pool just expands mm. so you know i don't want to diminish what i got to do as a kid but there is something about being a kid who's worked where the work breeds itself because there's so few kids who have worked yeah so if you're a kid and you are kind of cute and you can kind of act and you've got some experience, you will get work. Yeah. I don't know if that's still true today, but that was certainly, I feel, part of my experience. You know, it's kind of like once you've pulled that thread, you know, you can really I'll use the wrong analogy. Once you've opened that door, you can swing it right open. I love I love wrong analogies. I do want to get... the thread of the opening door. Yeah. I do want to get to how we got to Vancouver, but I do, like, you just... Like, I, I, I'm inspired by a question. Mm. Do you think it's possible to be too young in this business? Like, do, like, what, like, what is your relationship to the idea of child actors and stuff? Because, like, there is a big, like, pejorative, you know, negative association, right? Like, Yeah, I think it's totally individual. Like, if you take me as an example, I was just bursting to be in front of a camera yeah. from such a young age. I think... If you do have a situation where parents are pushing their children into it and the kids, and I mean, I work at Jackie Lynn's casting office as a reader and sometimes you can totally tell that the kid isn't having fun, doesn't want to be there. And I I think that's when it's too young. They they should be young enough to know that they want to do it themselves and not have those ideas put in their heads by some stage mum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Get me to Vancouver. Okay. So we have the awkward early 20s phase I go to university I do a bunch of ski seasons I'm a ski instructor I do the whistler thing because I'm Australian so like every Aussie I think you've got to do a every ski Australian season. who comes to Canada has to do that yeah so did you come with the idea of skiing or did you know that oh I'm going to be a whistler and that's very close to Hollywood North Vancouver BC no I had no idea that Hollywood North existed that was 2003 yeah and I was just I Drinking, hot tub, and ski instructor who was just loving skiing in Whistler. <laughs> I'm, I'm you're everything I now hate. No, but you're the Australian it's, stereotype of, a, of uh, an Australian in Whistler, right? It's so hard because I go there now, and there's these young kids. There's that grandma again. Uh, who <laughs> Pull are, up a chair, grandma. Yes, stay with us for a while. I'm sure you've got better stories than me. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, she's pulling out her knitting. Wow. <laughs> and her teeth. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> um. Now, you know, they're so loud and they're so drunk and their accents are so twangy. And I'm like, oh, God. But I can't even say anything because that was totally me. That was me at age 19. (laughs) I was just all the stereotypes, very badly behaved. So, and then 
you know, throughout this time, I was still thinking about acting, but, you know, I don't think I ever told my agent at the time that I was even moving away. I just, like, went because yeah. I was out of control and in my 20s. And then when I, I finished doing my three ski seasons, I also did two in Japan. Um, I came back and I, I got a job in marketing. So oh. I, I worked at a not-for-profit in suicide prevention. Oh. Uh, yeah. A lot of laughs at that workplace. Wow, that's such yeah. important work, though. It was. It was nice to be able to do, you know, marketing sometimes can be a bit soulless. Yeah. So it was nice to be applying those skills in a field that actually felt like it was helping people. Yeah. But, you know, a couple of years into that nine to five life, I was really unhappy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, although I would, you know, I, I'm someone who throws myself 100% into whatever I'm doing. So although I, I was doing a good job and, and putting all my energy into it, I wasn't happy. Yeah. And, yeah, my boyfriend at the time was like, you know, you really should just try getting back into acting. Like, you already know you can do it. Yeah. You're just not actually doing anything. But th- then the strange thing was that because I had got success so early and so consistently, I'd never had to hustle. Mm. I'd never worked unpaid in my life. Yeah. So then suddenly in my mid-20s, I was sort of starting from scratch because I hadn't done anything since, you know, in like five years. Yeah, and, and what you had done was over there. Uh, yeah. yeah. It wasn't here. Uh, uh, well, this is still in Australia. So oh. I had just, I'd grown. I'd Sorry, I need like a board and a map and some little pins and some string because I'm having a hard time. Is it time. a murder board? That sounds I, like a murder board. It's a, yeah, it's a murder board. Actually, we could borrow some of Granny's string right there. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, sorry, so I'm so sorry. Still You're in Australia. in Australia. Okay. And and I try to get back into it and I and yeah, it's just this, I kind of did my career in reverse because if you were to graph it with that string on the murder board, it would be this huge peak of success, then this kind of flat line. And then I had to start from the bottom. And it was really bizarre to me because I'd only ever worked on professional sets. So when I did my first student film, I was like, this sucks. Yeah. But it it was so good for me and so good for me to check my ego because I had to really make sure I was doing it for the love of it. Wow. So, yeah, I kind of crawled my way up a little bit and did a few little bits in Australia and then uh, found out through a friend of a friend about Hollywood North, uh, Toby Levins. Oh! He actually did ski seasons at the same resort that I had in Japan. Wow. And so we connected on Facebook. I asked him a bunch of questions. And at that point, I was 28. I was single I didn't own property I had no babies or anything so I was like it's now or never and it was way easier to get a, a visa here than move to LA yeah and I kind of heard you know the advice is don't move to LA unless you're invited that's what they say I haven't heard that it's really good advice yeah have you have you done LA at all have no. you gone and done like pilot season or no, no. no I, I might eventually but I'm on a real good thing right now yeah. here. So anyway, so 
Let's move this along. So I decide. <laughs> you, I'm hey, move. I'm supposed to say that, so not I, you. I feel like I'm just rambling. Um, well, that's kind of. I mean, that's the brand of this sh- of okay. this show. You know, I'm to get point. to know people through the conversation. But you know, like, so when wh- what were some of those uh, early memorable milestones and stuff? Once you got here and you touched down, like, what did you want and what did you get? Well, I had a two-year working visa. And I came wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited, and also came right in the middle of the BC film crisis, Uh, which I did not realize for about four months or so. I just was emailing people and getting nothing back. I couldn't find an agent. And it wasn't until I started going to class and really building, you know, friendships within the community that I realized, oh, things are really bad right now. There's a reason that people don't care that I have 18 years of professional credits. Yeah. It's because no one can get work. Yeah. So I was even considering moving to Toronto after a year and no agent. That first year was really, really rough. Yeah. And then my uh, acting coach, Aaron Craven at Mitch and Murray Studios, put me as his featured actor of the newsletter and writers as I was really considering moving either back home or to Toronto I got an agent so oh fantastic that was a big milestone yeah and then getting to work on set and getting a voice agent I mean I've come a long way in in the now seven and a half years that I've been here yeah we both come up in this local industry in the same time because I started writing about film and tv industry during the save bc film campaign as well when other media were kind of walking away from covering it because like well there's nothing going on I was like well look at all like there is like there's still people here there's the infrastructure here how is how like what are they doing while you know we're waiting for the service productions to come Mm -hmm. back and so then when they came back I was already in awesome look at us now look at us now <laughs> yeah we're fantastic granny's proud of us for sure um what do you want now i mean because so now you have uh, i mean i read all those awesome roles and mm. you are old enough to be the the police constable and yes. the sheriff and all these things yes. and you're also doing a lot of a lot of voice work like what is it that you seek out and i just want to tell you we are going to talk about we're going to take a break we're going to talk about beverly uh gil turtle gil turtle I, I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that. Her middle name is Onassis. Beverly Onassis Gilturtle. That makes it actually easier. Isn't that the Beverly cutest Beverly Onassis Gilturtle. Yeah. Like she, I, I want to take a break before we talk about her. Okay, to like, cool. I don't We'll get to her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what is it that you, that you want in this moment? Well, I'm really fortunate at the moment in that I've got a really active, busy voice career. I'd love to keep growing my on-camera career, and it is you know, finding little bits of momentum here and there. Yeah. But things have changed a little bit for me in the last few years in that I have this new drive to want to create my own stories. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's been 24 years of saying other people's words and telling other people's stories. And I love doing that and I'll never want to stop. But something has ignited in me and I'm writing, I'm creating, I'm collaborating and that's where I'm getting so much of my creative satisfaction these yeah. days. So and I really want to grow that. Honor that need, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's exciting. It's it's new, it's exciting, and it's there's so much power in it because although you are still waiting for often funding opportunities, yeah. you don't have to wait for anyone to get started. It can just be you and your laptop 
Yeah. And or you and a co-creator and a whiteboard. And yeah, so I think that's that's my biggest ambition right now is to keep opening that door and see what happens because you know, let's let's be realistic. There's longevity in my voice career. Our voices age far better than our faces and our bodies. Yes. yes but I true. see also longevity as a creator more so than I do as a performer on camera. So yeah. You know, I'm at the age where I'm starting to actually consider more than just a year in advance, which is amazing. That's fantastic. I love hearing that. And I'm excited to follow you where you go. Um, before we take our break and mm. before we talk about Beverly Ornassa's Gill Turtle, um, I, I, I'm i always interested to speak with uh, my guests about uh, their either their experience being the child of immigrants or their experience as a immigrant themselves. I mean, just given the the industry mm-hmm. that we're in, where it either judge you on appearances or on the way that you sound. How do you, how do you, how has your experience as, as an immigrant, you know, impacted your career that you've had here in the BC film industry? Yeah, um, it, it's definitely tough, uh, you know, to start with, uh, you, like I couldn't join the union until I got my PR. They kept sending me letters saying, join, you've got enough credits. And I'm like, I can't because of your laws. Yeah, so PR to our international listeners means permanent residence. Yes. Um, And dialect-wise, I worked for a year before I came over um, to try and nail that standard American dialect. Yeah. Um, And so I'm very lucky in that I can flick it on and off yeah uh, like a switch so but it does mean kind of hiding a little part of your identity in ways so like one of my first big commercial clients was the brick and the brick uh are a canadian brand and one of the first commercials i ever recorded for them went something like this let's see if i can remember um Everyone knows the brick is the place for the lowest price in home furnishings. But did you know we're 100% Canadian? So it's kind of funny because not this percent. This percent is not Canadian. And they didn't realize when they hired me because I had gone into the audition in my dialect. I had read, I chatted to the engineers and and the director in my dialect. And it wasn't until after they, you know, needed all my paperwork that they found out so there's a little part of you that has to kind of it's not a secret like if I'm on set I'm still in my North American dialect but if someone says where are you from I'll say Australia (laughs) and I'll pronounce it Australia Australia even though that sounds so wrong to me yeah um and and I think it's some people when they come here are so worried about people knowing that they're Aussie and, and being worried about their dialect that they will try and talk They'll try and lose their accent completely yeah. and they'll talk in the North American all the time. And for me, that just felt wrong. It felt yeah. like that's not who I am. And I was confident enough in my dialect skills to be able to flick that on and off. Yeah. So I mean, because there has been a lot of discussion in the last few months, which I helped kickstart when I had yes. when I wrote this article with them, Almiro and Andrea Stefanchikova, who has like the most amazing name. Uh, but you know, th- t- where like they wanted to talk about accent phobia within the industry. You know yeah. that like they shouldn't have to. Yes, they can see that for some roles, if it's very specific to a region where it has to do the story. You know that that yes, they understand not ha- like not having to 
like they, they understand having to adopt a North American accent for that. Yeah. But then for other ones, it's like, well, it's it's just it's just a f- it's accent phobia. It's like it doesn't necessarily like. What are your thoughts on? on yeah, that? I mean, I agree. I think we need more you know i read your article and i think we need representation well i really just wanted the compliment okay <laughs> well, true. we need we need people represented across so many things we need equal gender representation we need all races we need all religions we need all sexualities yes. we need all body shapes and we need all dialects yeah but i'm also a realist and i know the market so I certainly came over here not expecting to really ever work yeah. in my Australian accent. And then the fun thing is, every now and then I do get to. Yeah. And that's really cool. It's so good. how often have you been able to? Um, I've done a couple of animated characters who are Aussie. Yeah. Here, and that's been fun. Um, I'm on the video game Rainbow Six Siege. I was one of their first Aussie controllers I don't know all the words well because I'm not a gaming girl <laughs> I'm just gonna let you kind of flounder operator. there yeah yeah sorry is that the right word do you know the words no anyway um so that was really fun and she's like really Aussie as well she's yeah. like Oka proper luck <laughs> Stein the cries kind of like she really I had to go, dig dude. deep and get right into my Aussie roots that's fantastic and then the funny thing that I um have come to do now is now I'm the voice of Hyundai in Canada. Are you really? Yeah. So they were open to an accent when they did their casting. And then my first ever record that I did with them was really bizarre because first of all, I was in Sweden. This is the joy of voice work is that you can do (laughs) it from from wherever you want. But I didn't realize I basically got a call from my agent before I was going to Sweden to visit my brother for Christmas saying, hey, looks pretty good. You you might book this thing. Do you have time in Sweden to go to a studio? I'm like, yep, this is the time I have to be on a train from Stockholm. Find me somewhere close to that. I'll be there if, if they want me to. So I arrive in Stockholm. I'm staying with my brother's random friends. They're really cool. We go out. We get drunk. We come home. It's like 3 a.m. My phone goes back on their Wi-Fi. Ding, 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 ding all these messages and emails from my agent saying, you booked it, you need to be at this studio at like 9 a.m. And I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) I really need to sober up and drink. So I drank like four liters of water to try and (laughs) make sure my voice was gonna be okay in the morning, but then I still didn't know which accent they wanted. Mm. So I get to the studio, find my way there. I've got all my luggage with me in Stockholm. I get on the line with them there in Toronto and I'm like, so what did you guys decide? You want to go with Canadian or Australian? And they're like, well, we don't really want you to be either. We're looking for an unplaceable world sound. And it was a good thing that it was just Skype because I was, my face was very confused. I was Uh like, oh my God, what does that mean? What does that mean? So basically I read in my Aussie accent, but I throw in hard R's. Oh. So an example would be... um, Take your weekend to a whole new level with the Hyundai Tucson. But then the tag is, that's the H factor. Uh, because that's the H factor would be way too Aussie. <laughs> so um, it felt a little wrong to me because I, oh, part of this journey has been I also work as a dialect coach with Tony Alcantara. Mm. So 
it felt really weird for me because I felt like I sound like either someone who doesn't know how to do an Australian accent or someone who doesn't know how to do a Canadian accent. Yeah. I'm sort of this weird mix, but they I like it, it and though. they're it's still like hiring you're the, me. You're and the voice of the future, you yeah. know? Like it's a voice that, that crosses borders. And that yeah. I, 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 I like it. There is something beautiful and poetic about it. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a break. Yes. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Beverly Onassis, Gil Turtle. Yes. And we're going to talk about building voices mm-hmm. because I fucking love that. Like, that <laughs> is the, like, as I love talking about the anatomy of funny and I love talking about the anatomy of voices. So we're going to peek behind the curtain. Yes. Into the voice booth. Let's do it. When we get back. Sometimes I'm not wearing all my clothes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Maybe that's why you're cold. <laughs> Well, it's really hot in my little little closet that I do my home recordings from. So yeah. sometimes I'm in my knickers. Anyway, on that note, we'll be right back. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. So we did a lot during that sponsor break uh mm-hmm. we we ate vegemite we did um, you loved it i i loved it yeah i found it to be smoother than marmite which i which i also love um and then uh and then you went to sweden became a canadian citizen and filmed your passion project <laughs> yeah it was a hell of a break yeah so uh full disclosure uh this is this is true. This is I'm not lying. This conversation is happening many months after that first conversation because the third act of the podcast, uh, last episode we recorded, ended up with a corrupted file. Mm-hmm. So uh, Rona has very generously agreed to come in. And yeah, so in the last few months, you went to Sweden yep. and back again. You became a Canadian citizen. Yeah. You filmed your passion project. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about like all of that. But before we do, uh, let's talk about Beverly Onassis Gill Turtle. Right. Cause because that's the that, other thing that I did. Yeah. And that was the, the last. Well, that was also the last thing I said, because I have listened over and over again to <laughs> to that incomplete episode, just burning a hole there in my in my folders. It's like we're going to come back and talk about Beverly. So and she, you know, respect must be paid to that. Yes. That sweet little turtle. So um, who is Beverly? <laughs> so. 
Beverly Onassis Gilturtle is... Best name, by the way. An incredible name. Yeah. <laughs> and she's an incredible character. She, I voice her in the show Littlest Pet Shop, A World of Our Own. Yes. And she's very special to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, because she was my kind of big break in animation in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, second of all, because she's just such a kick-ass character. She can turn any negative into a positive. Uh, we all need a Beverly Gilturtle in, living in our heads. She's great. You kick her out of a yoga class, she thinks it's because she's reached the ultimate zen. You know, she's just <laughs> she's great. Um, also because the way that I booked that role was pretty special. Mm-hmm. I basically crashed an audition. Yeah, you scammed um, your way in. Yeah, I was at a studio waiting for client approval on a commercial and saw that they were doing some uh, auditions and strategically waited a little longer than needed for that client approval until the director finally looked at me and asked if I was here to audition and I said no but I'd like to and thank you Terry Klassen for allowing me (laughs) to sneak into the audition schedule and um, ended up booking one of the lead roles in this in that series so it was a huge learning curve for me and it will just always be a really, really special character for me. And does is there like a Beverly action figure or a little Beverly? There is. Toy and I stuff? have. I have Beverly plushie. I have little mini Beverly. That's She's great. Because I watched. I watched a OG uh, Littlest mm-hmm. Pet Shop because mm-hmm. that was kind of the the age that my daughter was at the at the time. So the, so what is this one? Because this one is not in this the. This is a bit of a reboot. Yeah. So no humans in this world. In this world, it all takes place in a uh, land called Portucket. And it's the place Aww. where pets go to when they make their humans happy. So if you, if your dog comforts you by licking your face, he gets transported to Portucket. And they live out all their pet dreams and anything is possible in Portucket. So it's a really fun world. There's no humans. All animals mostly get along. And um, just really quirky, really good writing. Um, And then she's also special to me because I got nominated for a couple of awards for her. So there was a great photo in the months since mm-hmm. you, you were here uh, where you are you are on a lot on a in, mm-hmm. in front of a very iconic monument looking so fine and I believe that was in conjunction with the with the nomination right so that's can you, right can you tell so I was it it was the water tower for yeah for, for Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers yeah so it was that's where the Animaniacs live yeah they live in the water tower <laughs> <laughs> I remember that where the Animaniacs. Yep. They were so good. Um, yeah, so I got nominated for a Voice Arts Award um, from the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences. The Society. The Sovas. Yeah, the Sova Society of Voice Arts and Sciences. The and Sciences makes it sound very fancy. Yeah. Uh, makes and it sound serious. Probably yeah. a lot more serious than a lot of the people who are going to the Sovas right? actually are. Yeah. Uh, and it was a really interesting experience. It was, you know, a very big, fancy L.A. awards show. And even though it was all voice performers, you know, we we all spent hundreds of dollars and hours and hours uh, getting ready to look good. Getting for our voice with awards. pretty sticks. Yeah. Um, but the experience of being there on that lot, on, and it is historic, mm-hmm. you know, like... Does it? What did it feel like for you to go down there? Did it feel like you were on some kind of s- sacred animation entertainment land? You know, tell I me mean, that experience. 
Well, first of all, I had an interesting start to the experience because I had this very nice dress on and I got my hair and makeup done. I wanted to do it right. You know, I'm going to L.A. I'm going to do it right. Yeah. And as my date was driving me to the awards, I dropped my phone in the footwell of the car Uh and like leant down to pick it up and just heard. No, no, that is not a sound you want to hear ever, especially when you're going to an award show. What, what was so it? So when we got to the parking lot of the Warner Brothers studio, uh-huh. um, we got out of the car and my date proceeded to have to get on his knees in his suit, stick his hand up my dress and scotch tape close the hole that I'd ripped in the ass of my dress. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. I'm sorry. And I was like, yes, of course, because I live in a freaking comedy. Yeah. This is so ridiculous. Like this big moment that I've been building to for months. I've been doing all this press. I'm so excited. I've like spent all the money to look good and I've ripped a hole in the ass of my dress. That is the universe keeping you humble. Right? Yeah. That's what that is. A hundred percent. So yeah, uh, interesting start. But yeah, like you said, good to kind of like keep it cash. And then going onto the lot, you know, you you check in with security and they put you on one of those little golf carts like you see in the movies where they're driving through the lot and it's the lot where Ellen films Mm. and it's where they take the people who are doing the Friends tour. So we went past the Friends fountain and the Friends cab and I have all these pictures. Like it's just for a little girl from Australia to be there on the lot being recognized amongst these names on this space where so many iconic films and TV shows have been made was really kind of bizarre. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. Although it was very long. I'm not going to lie. It was, um, we got there, I ripped my dress at around (laughs) 4 (laughs) p.m. I love that you feel time so much more. Yes, through the hole in my dress. That's how I felt it. Oh, I'm so sorry. And there was like a little oh. pre-reception with red carpet and some nibbles and some drinks until we went in to the theater at six. Yeah. And my award came midway through. I did not win, but it's okay. C'est la vie. It was really cool to be a part of it. But then it was still going at like 9.15. What? And I was wearing like kind of a tight dress. I'd had a salad for lunch and I think a coffee for breakfast. Yeah. Um, so my dad and I looked at each other at like around 9.30 and we're like, I think we have to go. Because I was getting so hangry I was going to punch someone in yeah. the face. So <laughs> Wait, there wasn't even, besides the nibbles and the reception. No. Oh. And when we snuck out, like the after party was in the same space, but they still just had like cheese and veggies and I was like if I don't get some freaking carbs yeah I'm gonna get stabby okay, so good. so you got some we snuck off and went for like greasy tacos nice I like strode into this greasy taco joint as they were like mopping up at the end of the night in my gown with my jewels on and my professional hair and makeup and was like um one to start a special number b or number two please <laughs> And they were like, okay, who is this strange princess? Yeah. And, but the, I'm actually, I just, did the tape hold then? The tape was holding? Yeah, I couldn't bend. Like at one point I put down my purse to get a photo taken and then 
uh, my friend who was with me had to like pick it up for me because I was too afraid to yeah to bend over. But the tape held. Fortunately, it was quite a small rip, and I was wearing my Spanx. Like it wasn't going through to bare cheeks. Yeah. So wow, <laughs> that that's that is quite the quite the epic journey, quite the experience that you went on. Um, I do. I want to like first of all f- welcome you to the fold, to the Canadian fold. Thanks. For a formally and officially, because it's not official until you get the welcome from Sabrina from the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Now it's legit. It is totally legit. How, how did it feel? Because you, I mean, I get very emotional. I know, I, I've attended a, a couple of ceremonies mm-hmm. for, for friends who were, you know, who chose to become uh, citizens of this, of this country. And it's very emotional. Like, what was that experience like for you? It was extremely emotional. Um, partly because I had come back from Sweden where I was visiting my brother and his family for Christmas the yeah. day before. So I had the emotion of saying goodbye to them and then the s- severe jet lag and tiredness of yeah. that travel. And then, you know, like many people who emigrate, you don't always plan to emigrate. Yeah. When I first considered moving, it was always going to be a bit of an experiment. I wasn't happy with how things were going in Melbourne. I was excited to have an adventure and experiment with like what it would be like to try working in the North American market. And then just the way things unfolded as we kind of, I think we talked about in the first <laughs> two thirds of our yeah, chat. Yeah, we, we, did, um, we did. You know, it took a long time for me to get established and then I can't imagine right now at least moving back because I've worked so hard to get here and I'm yeah. so overjoyed with the way things are going. Um, so suddenly it's, you know, I'm coming up on in March. It'll be my, by the time this comes out probably, yeah. I will have been here for eight years. And wow. um, it's strange as well because citizenship feels more permanent, but actually what it gives me is more flexibility. So I think... When I told my parents, they felt almost sad about it. Like, oh, she's becoming a, ca- a Canadian. We're losing her. Yeah. But actually what it means is that if I decide at some stage I want to go and live in Australia for five years or ten years, I can still come back to Canada at any point. Yeah. Whereas permanent residency means having to, um, you know, keep myself in Canada for certain amounts of time. Um, yeah, so it... it and it feels, even though permanent residency is is great and keeps me here, actually being Canadian, I finally feel at home. I don't know. There's something. There's something. Ex- a final acceptance. Yeah, it's like getting married, mm-hmm. and also you get to vote. You it's get, huge. You, you you're already you were already paying taxes and contributing anyways, but you mm-hmm. didn't have a say. Mm-hmm. You know in what in what's done so well I am so glad you're here thank you Um, I I do want to spend a couple minutes at least talking about Freya uh, which is the your film uh, that you went to camera on like just a few days ago yeah if you uh, can hear a little fatigue in my voice it's I'm still recovering from our shoot yeah Um, yeah so recovering in like the because it was so like engrossing and you were so present in those moments. Like, tell me about like what, what you've, the need is to recover from. Yeah, that was a poorly um, worded sentence, but we'll keep it. Let me tell you a little bit about the journey towards camera. So basically, um, 
heard about the Harold Greenberg Fund's BC Shorts edition just weeks before the deadline and had an, a, the seed of an idea uh, that had been rattling around in this small little brain of mine for a while. And I chose to make some time to let it germinate and wrote a script very organically and very quickly that I um, felt really excited about. Yeah. And threw together a team very quickly um, and fortunately had a very talented team come on board at the last minute. Uh, Athena Russell and Will and Leung as producers. We also added Kristen Stilling afterwards mm. and Camille Hollett French directing. And then this was actually my first script that I had written by myself. Wow. So Shuttlecock, you know, Melanie really did the the bulk of the writing. I was there helping guide the story, but she wrote it. And I'd co-written stuff before, but this was just me. Mm. And to get your first ever script funded by one of the biggest short film grants available in BC was just huge. Yeah. Um, and then I thought I'd written kind of a simple story, but then it evolved a little bit after getting the grant and I realised actually it wasn't simple. <laughs> so it involves um, visual effects, mm -hmm. which make things very complicated and very expensive, uh, a baby, which, you know, they say don't work with babies, mm -hmm. uh, and a bird. So oh. all those elements oh. I managed to uh, <laughs> I managed to incorporate and we had a pretty stressful lead up to the shoot just in terms of trying to get all those pieces um, lined up. Were and you we producing needed to shoot well? executive producing, yeah. yeah. Um, the Bank of Hyundai has helped pay oh. for some of our film, which is great. All hail. All Hyundai. hail, Hyundai. <laughs> um, and we had to shoot fairly early, even though we have a year to turn around the film. We had to shoot quite early in that year in order to give ourselves time to work with those visual effects. Yeah. So, And then, um, you know, I also hadn't really thought about the fact that I had written this for myself and I wrote a scene where I, uh, sorry, a script where I'm in every scene of the film. <laughs> so we're working in a tight schedule, really emotional content, and I'm in every scene. Wow. So when I say recovering, it's physically, mentally, and emotionally. Like yeah. just the release of getting this film in the can that means so much to me personally, yeah. creatively, and professionally. So yeah. who is Freya? Freya stands for Federally Regulated Inquiry and Yield Assistant. And Freya is a film that is set about 25, 30 years in the future. So Freya is my version of Siri or Alexa. And this film examines our relationship with technology, with each other, with sex. And in this future, social media and the state operate as one. So it's not your choice to have a Google Mini yeah. or an Alexa in the home. Everyone is assigned a Freya. And uh, it's also a future where abortion is completely outlawed. So really, I've been calling it a cautionary comedy, but I think it's going to be maybe even too dark too. By the time we finish the cut, it might not fit that label anymore because oh. it's some pretty dark themes that we're working with 
But I'm a true believer that, um, you know, this is my version of a protest film. Mm-hmm. And in my eyes, a protest film doesn't have to be rah, rah, down with this and screw the system. I think you can ignite curiosity and ignite uh, that curious thought within people. Yeah. In interesting ways, and that's what I hope to do with this film. I want to make people really examine those choices they're making when they, you know, don't think about those terms and conditions that they're signing off on, when they know that their phones are listening. Uh, Yeah, what we lose when we don't care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. The way that you're talking about it, though, like, am I correct to assume that, like, for for those of us who love your work and follow your work, like, that this is this is the deepest into who you are and what you care about and what your voice is as a, as an artist that we, that we have ever seen. I think so. And it's, it's probably a different tone, you know? Um, I think people on the indie scene know me for shuttlecock, which is definitely one side of my personality. I, as we discussed earlier, like three months earlier, (laughs) um, I love nothing more than a good dick dick joke, but I also, I'm a staunch feminist. I believe in equality. I believe in a woman's right to choose. Oh, I'm gonna get emotional. <laughs> wow this this episode is really it's really a, taking a turn, isn't it's it? It's really a journey. Yeah, you know, and, but you contain multitudes. I mean, and like we all do. You know, we're not. And none of us are only just one thing, right? But yeah. few of us are able to express that with the world. So yeah, and I think. Hopefully the fun thing that will come through in in Freya as a finished product is I've still worked some good, like, dirty sex jokes in there. Like, we had a vibrator on set... Um, there's a version like for the, for the everybody to play with, or like for the no no it, it <laughs> plays in, in the, the film it plays in the film okay okay note to self uh, and f- <laughs> filmmakers out there um, hair gel makes a good substitute for. Lube, lube or other things that might be on a vibrator. So okay. dressing dildo in lube before we roll. Hair gel. Uh, yeah, hair gel. Okay, there you go. Um, and <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. We also have um, <laughs> my version of future Tinder is called Nookie Bookie. <laughs> and you book your nookie through Nookie Bookie and... Why wait for an unsolicited dick pic when they're just on there already? Wow. So you're going to get to see some dick. You get to see my tits. Um, it's going to be a wild ride watching this film. Yeah, I'm excited. And uh, <laughs> being the being the nerd that I am, you said nookie bookie. I'm like, no big grade is wookie bookie. Yeah. <laughs> Book yourself <laughs> chewy. Chewy. Just yeah. I mean, come you- on over. Yeah, I mean, and and it you know it, you could you could book him for some snuggles because I'm sure it'd be amazing to hug a Wookiee or for something else too, you know. Whatever you're into. Whatever spoon. I'm into. Oh my God, <laughs> this is derailing and uh, gloriously so. Um, before we go, yes, uh, I do. So, I mean, I so the the timing of this is that this is going to come out after. Uh, your fundraiser at the Rio Theater, yes, uh, which you are organizing like a big like Mad Maxathon, yes, uh, for uh, relief from the the massive fires that have been that have been really just 
damaging, you know, f- there's physical damage and also emotional and psychological damage. You know, for for your your origin country of uh, yeah. Australia, can you tell me how your family's doing? And um, also maybe let's name check some of the charities that, yeah. that our listeners can support. I think everyone is well aware of the fires and the magnitude of them, but I think something that often happens um, is we're so desensitized to news of natural disasters and news cycles move on pretty quickly. But these fires are at a scale where it will take generations to recover from these fires for the environment and for communities. So we're talking about entire species being lost. And even if some of those species are surviving, entire habitats are being lost. So the need for monetary donations goes beyond immediate emergency relief. We're talking about replanting. We're talking about counselling for people who've been on those front lines. Um, or living, I mean, I'm sure there's massive trauma for you know people who aren't even fighting the fires, yeah. but who are like living yeah. in the midst of. And for the children, you know, there's oh. one of the iconic images that came out around Christmas time was of an 11 year old boy steering his family to safety. Oh, I'm gonna get emotional again. Yeah, <laughs> steering um, his family to safety through the smoke in a little um, motorboat because he was part of the fires where an entire town had to evacuate through the ocean. (laughs) So, yeah. um, I mean, honestly, if you're not emotional about this, something's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, and the fact that there there are the people who can, you know, really make some big changes are ignoring this in a lot of ways. You know, they have all the billionaires that have been meeting in Greece and just totally being so dismissive, you know, so. And our government has definitely, in my opinion, been failing. So if you're listening to this and you have the means, excuse me for being snotty now, (laughs) uh, please consider, even if it's $5, $10, $20, there are a lot of uh, great charities out there. The Red Cross is w- what we have chosen to donate for for the Mad Maxathon. Okay, they tend to do a great job of distributing their funds across communities and across areas that need it. Okay, if animals are something you're passionate there about, there are a heap of different animal charities like Wires. Um, I know that Kangaroo Island has been one of the most heavily affected areas. Um, the CFA, the RFS, those are the actual firefighting services. Okay. And as I'm sure, again, as some of your listeners may have read, um, a lot of the people who have been fighting the fires are volunteers. So donating directly to those firefighting services will mean that it's going to the people who were on the front lines. So Wonderful. Okay, so every single one of those charities that you've mentioned, we will put a link uh, to those organizations Um in the footnotes for this episode. Mm -hmm. We have been on quite a journey together, you and I, (laughs) over the course of this episode. Um, Let's let's end with some time travel. Mm -hmm. If you could go back in time to the very beginning of your career and you had a minute to give yourself some advice, what advice would you give yourself? Or would you not say anything at all? Because that's an option too. 
That's such an interesting question because there's a part of me that wants to dish out all of the advice. Yeah. But then there's a part of me that sees how every moment along my journey has led me to where I am now and has contributed. So even like one of the things that I sometimes think about is, well, I had that big break in my early 20s where I went and worked in an office job and I wasn't being fed creatively and I wasn't happy. But without that time, I wouldn't have the marketing skills to apply for these grants that have allowed me to make films. Yeah. I wouldn't have the experience of like working in a normal job, which again, I think helps ground me and know like, what is it like to work a nine to five? Yeah. I was also working in suicide prevention, which has made me really sensitive to mental health issues. And I think that helps me as a writer and a filmmaker see through things through a unique lens. So yeah. I think one thing would be to start writing and creating earlier, yeah. to not hold back in that sense. I think I held back for a long time out of respect to writers and directors. And now I'm like, no, I've got this. I've been doing this for 24 years. Yeah. I know what a script should read like. Um, but also never to compromise on your values. Mm. Um, and to always stand up and speak up if you see something on set that makes you or clearly makes someone else uncomfortable. You know, it took the Me Too movement for us to really find our voices as women on set. And I think there's been times in my career where I could have spoken up. Yeah. Fortunately, they haven't been extreme, but there's definitely moments where I wish I'd had the strength to stand up. Yeah. What a downer. No, you are, you are, you are, I am fascinated with you. I, I adore you. Please come back. Absolutely. And, I mean, not to do this specific episode again. We're not doing to have to re-record this again, <laughs> but come back in the future. I'd love to, to talk about Freya when, yes. when that's beginning. I can't beginning wait to journey. show it to you guys. Um, where can our fans find you on the social media? On the social, I was not smart enough to nab the same handles. So on Insta, <laughs> it's my initials, which are R M E R. Oh, that's Rona, what that Marin, means. Elizabeth Rees. Oh. So armor. Uh, that's on R Insta. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Rona R. So that's R H O N A R. Ronar. Renar. <laughs> I have really bad handles. I have uh, Sabrina for one of them. Sabrina. Yeah, Sabrina, Ronnie Mara for Ronnie Mara Firminger, which are my initials, or just like a Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> and then on Facebook, I'm Rona Ray's actor. Okay. <laughs> and we will have links to all of those in the yeah. footnotes for this episode. Well, thank you. Hey. Thank you for coming back. I feel like it was cool that we lost that third because yeah. it was an interesting insight you know you got to hear about me splitting my dress at Warner Brothers I love and, it uh, I love it I'm actually I'm very grateful yeah uh, that we got to hear that particular story everything is as it was yeah well, I mean it just really shows how glamorous this industry right? really is yeah but it's also a good reminder for me moving forward uh, because I've been very lucky at events, but I should always just in my bag. Okay, so if, if you if needle you're and an, thread, yeah, you're an actress. You you can come to me. I will have eyelash glue. I will have fabric tape. Mm -hmm. I will have uh, have 
bobby pins and straight pins. You can find all of that uh, with me. I yeah, will have that for me, you. Yeah, also me, because I will yeah. not make that mistake again. And <laughs> Never, You know ever. what? The only reason that date had scotch tape in his car was because those little ribbon things that you hang your dress up with yeah. kept popping up on my dress, and I messaged him before we left to say, hey, can you bring some tape? I want to tape down my dress. So, Oh, this dress was already giving you grief. And then, thank you, Hudson's Bay, for taking it back. Because oh! I was like, hey, this dress split moments before a really important event. I don't want it anymore. Wow. So, yeah, it was a wild ride. <laughs> Thanks for having me back, Sabrina. You're a wild ride. All right. <laughs> Okay, if we're only completely. You knew. Yeah, I think we, I think we got some idea, and that's why we're all going to follow you on all those various social media accounts. Okay, <laughs> to our listeners, thank you for staying with us through all of that because that was glorious. Um, try some Vegemite, please. Like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvrscreenscene. The YVR Screenscene podcast. I don't know. I was tripping over that. Like, what? what is this? What is going on? It's a rainy Thursday. It's hard to speak. It is. It is. And we've been through a lot together. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by myself, Sabrina Furminger. And it's produced and edited by Simon Furminger. We give special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger, our family business, for technical support. And to Dane Develay for the original music. Oh, and also to Mariana Furminger for being our Patreon ad reader. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut. <laughs>